welcome to the Anja Health podcast, our Better Birth podcast. Um, this is our actually first episode telling a parent story. In the past, we've always worked with like midwives and OBGYNs on our podcast. So I'm super excited um, to chat with you, especially because you're a fellow YC founder. Um, so yeah, I, if, if it's okay with you, would you like to introduce yourself? And especially since your mom, definitely don't be shy about big numbers, big brands, um, or anything like that, that might be affiliated with you. Like I, I encourage you to promote vanity metrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's very kind. Well, thank you, Catherine. Um, so I'm Sam, I'm one of the co-founders of flex and we help health and wellness businesses accept HSA and FSA cards. Um, so that's what I do, you know, during the day, um, on you know nights and weekends and and really all the time I am mom to a one-year-old um son who is just awesome and learning so many things these days um before I started flex I've been in tech for uh the past I guess 10 11 years um I was at Google for five years um wore a bunch of hats there I was an editor at TechCrunch before that working with a lot of startups to help them launch um and also had some stints at some early stage startups, um, most recently in fintech. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Okay. Awesome. Um, would you like to share any like numbers? Um, basically I I've been trying to think about how I can make like the lead as clickbaity as possible, like this, mm -hmm. like $5 million back founder or whatever. So yeah, if there's any numbers you want to promote to feel free to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, we're, we're very early. Um, so what I would say is like maybe flex is unlocking the $120 billion that's contributed every year in HSAs and FSAs to allow consumers to spend that on things that actually make them healthy. So okay. that's probably kind of a big, big number nugget for you. Cool. Have you guys fundraised prior to YCE? Uh, we have not. No, we started the company when we got into YC, basically. Okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, really started from scratch about two months ago. Okay, awesome. Um, and what do you feel like your mission is in life, both personally and professionally? Um, I think, you know, for me personally, uh, like fitness and exercise has always been such a big part of my life. That's actually what led me to start Flex is realizing how strong a contributor, those habits were to not just my physical well-being, but my mental well-being and like how I showed up at work and also how I showed up for my family. Um, so I think, you know, if I were to frame it right now, it would be around making like healthy lifestyle more accessible to more people. Um, and also trying to model that, you know, with my own family. So I guess you, you kind of covered this a little bit, but how would you describe what you do now professionally? Um, I guess like more so what does your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, so I'm an early stage founder, so I wear all of the hats. Um, I my co-founder Miguel uh, is technical, so I do pretty much everything else, and that you know changes day to day. It could be um, interviewing users, um, both about their pain points, but also showing them our product, um, getting feedback on mockups. It could be uh, doing cold outbound, uh, trying to get new leads. It could be supporting current customers. Uh, both on their implementation and then troubleshooting if there are any support issues. Um, I do a lot of research into HSA and FSA eligibility because a lot of what we're doing just hasn't been done before. Um, so a lot I've read a lot of IRS documents and um, also trying to build a network in the in the payment space to really help us um, make sure that our card acceptance rates are really high. So I spend time with the card networks and um, other, you know, our payment processor, those kind of folks. So uh, it really, really varies day to day. Cool. Brief interruption for our podcast listeners, and then we'll get right back to it. If you're currently pregnant, then this is important for you to know. So when I was three and my brother was one, he was in a near drowning accident that gave him cerebral palsy. One treatment for cerebral palsy is giving children stem cells from their own umbilical cord. The umbilical cord and placenta are both super rich with stem cells that can be used to replace and repair damaged cells. And when they come from the baby, they're a perfect match for that baby. However, my family didn't save stem cells for my brother and we couldn't find a match when the time came. It's pretty difficult to find a cord blood stem cell match if you're a person of color or mixed race. So the best solution to this problem is to save stem cells right at birth. You can do this with Anja Health. 
We have a kit that you can bring with you to birth and it contains all of the tools that your provider needs to collect your umbilical cord and placenta. After birth, you can place a pickup in our parent portal and we'll come and pick it up from anywhere in the United States and bring it to our lab in New Jersey where it will be frozen in the same way that you can freeze eggs or sperm. Then your family will always have access to stem cells for future disease treatment. Stem cells have been used to treat type 1 diabetes, different types of cancers, heart disease, liver disease, multiple sclerosis, and more. Get your kit today with Anja Health by going to anjahealth.com. That's A-N-J-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can always text or call us with questions as well at 310-620-1663. And yes, it is always a real person. And now back to the episode. Um, what problem do you see currently in the HSA, FSA um, world that you feel like is a part of your mission to fix? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that the accounts were designed for a world in which healthcare existed only in the doctor's office or only at a hospital. Um, and maybe you bought some healthcare products like at a CVS. Um, and the reality today is just so, so different. Consumers think about their health and wellness. Um really being an integrated part of their life. And so the places that shows up could be in their home, it could be on their phone, it could be in their workplace. And HSAs and FSAs just from a regulatory perspective weren't written to be used at at any of those places. Um, And so I just feel like there's this huge missed opportunity. Um, There's a ton of things consumer oriented companies that are doing great things to improve your health, make meaningful impact which, you know, lowers healthcare costs like overall, um, but we actually can't use health dollars uh, today on those services. So that's, you know, the big opportunity that we see in front of us. Okay, cool. Yeah. On the, on the day-to-day, did you want like breakdown? Like, how do I do this as a parent? Like, um, I think, yeah, I have it on as a question sort of later on. So we can okay. like, delve into it later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's super, super interesting. Um, yeah, just about your professional life. So now I I also wanted to delve deeper into your birth story. And I think, um, I, I was personally really interested in doing this series because I don't think there's a lot of exposure. It's kind of like either you are a parent that talks about parenting or you're like a founder that talks about tech and like company and business. Um, but I kind of wanted to show like, the two different sides that there can be like um even you were chatting about like how investors knowing that you might have a kid um could impact fundraising which i think i feel like men like never feel that way <laughs> <laughs> it's true yeah yeah. yeah. So I, I wanted to kind of like shed some light on the fact that like, I feel like so many female founders, especially live this kind of double life um, if they're a parent. So yeah. So we'd love to chat about your birth story. Um, so yeah, I'm curious what motivated you to have a baby in the first place and was it planned? And also you, you don't have to explain anything that you don't feel comfortable with, or if you don't want to, if you say something that you didn't want to be edited out later, like we can totally do that. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. And I did, I ran all these questions by my husband as well. Um, so I was like, you know, anything you want me to, to leave out and, yeah. you know, we're, um, we try to be really open because I think the biggest thing that was helpful for us going through the process was hearing other people's stories and knowing there were just so many paths forward. Yeah. And we could really choose what was, what was right for us. And, um, yeah, so we, we really try to share on that front. Um, in terms of your question, uh, how did we decide to have a kid? Um, yeah. you know, I've always wanted to, to have kids. I think for a lot of folks, um, you know, it's an open question and some people are not sure. I just had always known that I, I wanted a family. Um, I will say that, you know, the timing of it, uh, was, was definitely driven by just like age and things like that. Women, unfortunately don't have quite as long a timeline to be able to do that. Um, I didn't ever get like, that, you know, kind of classically described like baby fever, like I must have a baby right now. Uh, I really, you know, what I saw was what do I want for my holidays and my summer vacations and and my day-to-day in 10 years. And I always pictured, you know, a really lively, really full like kitchen table. And so, you know, to get that, you have to (laughs) you have to really start somewhere. So, um, that was the real motivator as opposed to like a urgency in me that I, I wanted a baby. Um, and I just share that because, you know, some, I feel like some women are like, well, I've never felt that way. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that way. You know, it, it was, 
a longer term desire that that really motivated us. Cool. Okay. So was it planned when you did find out that you were pregnant? Yes, it was very um, intentional. I'm a big planner and um, I have, uh, you know, some conditions that like, and I'm a little bit older. uh, I basically went into it thinking it could be hard to get pregnant. So actually before we even went down this path, um, when I was at Google, I took advantage of their uh, fertility insurance. And I, I did two rounds of embryo freezing. Um, so I, I've got some embryos, you know, on ice. Um, we didn't end up, uh, using those during our, our first pregnancy. Um, they were more kind of like an insurance plan. Um, yeah. or as I started, you know, to get older, if, if we wanted to tap into those. So we, we already, you know, maybe three years ago, we already knew, okay, we're going to want to have kids. We did the embryo freezing. Um, but for my, uh, my son, we did, uh, what I like to call science, science assisted, um, which means, uh, basically you work with a fertility doctor to, uh, time, uh, the cycle time, time intercourse with your cycle. Um, and that's really helpful for people. Like I have PCOS, um, which just means you might have you know, an irregular cycle. So about, you've got to get pregnant on certain days of the month, but if those days are a moving target every month, it can cause a lot of frustration for couples where they're trying and they're trying and, um, you're, you're fertile, but it's really hard to plan. So we, we did work with a a clinic on that and, uh, we're very fortunate that it didn't, didn't take too long. And we, we were able to, you know, get pregnant. Okay. That's so awesome. Um, yeah. Did you experience any, I guess, like struggles throughout your life because you had PCOS? Um, you know, my, uh, my symptoms were day-to-day very, very mild. Um, I was diagnosed back in high school. I had an ovarian cyst that ruptured, um, which, you know, I ended up in the ER for and was quite painful. I've had one since then. Um, but other than that, and, and kind of an irregular cycle, I don't have kind of significant like symptoms day to day, which I'm very, you know, thankful for. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Actually, when I was in, when I was in high school, I did a summer program. Um, and my roommate, like I, one day came home and she was literally on the floor, like crying in pain. And so I called 911 and it was because she had an ovarian cyst, but that was like my first like real exposure to a medical emergency. Um, so yeah, I'll never forget that. And now I've, I've done like quite a bit of research into it. And I feel like it's so much more common than people think, like, isn't it like, I think one in 10 women have PCOS. Yeah. Um, PCOS is super common. I don't know how common the, the ovarian cyst, but there's like, you know, it's a syndrome. So there's like yeah. such a wide range of uh, how it like presents and the symptoms that women have, but yeah, it's like fairly common. Okay. And then how old were you when you got pregnant? I was 34. Okay. Interesting. So just before geriatric, <laughs> I know, I know. And that was, that was definitely a factor. I was like, Oh, I got to get one in, you know, under yeah. the, um, yeah, it's, it, I think it's really, it's funny because so many of my friends, um, are having kids in their thirties and that feels very normal. I think, especially in a place like San Francisco. Um, but yeah, but medically, you know, once, once I hit 35, <laughs> I became geriatric. Um, so I, I think we should petition for a, a different name, uh, on that front, but yeah, yeah. You're right. this tends to go up a little bit. Yeah. It's interesting. I did a podcast episode this morning with, um, an MFM based in LA and he was telling me, yeah, like pretty much like like just being in LA, like most parents that go to Cedars to see an OB who are pregnant are above the age of 35. Um, he was saying his oldest patient was 52 and having, having a baby. So, okay, cool. So, um, how would you describe your family's structure and how many folks would you consider a part of your family? So, um, obviously uh, my husband's a big part of it. Um, so he's, uh, he's actually another founder as well. So um, I feel like we have uh, a lot of logistics in our day-to-day. Um, and then, you know, we really consider our broader immediate families. Um, they've been very, very involved um, since my son has been born. And sadly, wow. none of them are in the Bay Area, um, but they do um, visit from out of state like very often we have visitors every single month. Um, and so that's actually been, I feel like having a kid has brought that family closer together. Um, just every, everyone wants to see him and, and it gives us a lot of good quality time. That's awesome. So how old is your son now? He's a year. He just turned one okay. year. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to have other kids in the future? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the plan. When exactly, you know, TBD, but um, we're we're really happy with the first one. So. <laughs> Okay, awesome. Um, and yeah, and I'm super honored that you used an angel health kit. If you wanted to chat a little bit about why you decided to get an angel health kit, and then also your experience with it, and then so we, um, my husband and I, we're we're both, you know, engineers by training. Like we're both really into science. So you know, we uh, going into this process, I even called it like science assisted. Right? It's like we approach pregnancy from, from a pretty like quantitative lens when we thought about risk and things like that. And, um, so yeah, we did all the testing, we, we did everything. So for us, when we thought about, um, cord blood banking, uh, and the potential impact of that, uh, you know, there's, it, it's useful today for certain conditions, but the hope and like, you know, we really buy into the idea that it will be much more useful in the future. And so, you know, cord blood banking can be expensive. It, it definitely felt like a luxury to be able to do it, but we were kind of looking at ourselves being like, what else would we want to spend money on? Like this could, you know, in the very unlikely chance that we, you know, have a, a disease in the family, um, this could like save someone's life. So we decided to make that investment and honestly came, came across you guys, um, probably through the YC network. Um, I think maybe I had seen your launch and, um, I think the other companies in the space, honestly, like the user experience was just like, not what we were looking for. I'm sure they like are very credible and, and have great storage, but in terms of like, okay, I want to buy this. I want to know like how it shipped. It comes to me, like everything was just very accessible. Um, and you know, you, you get a lot of data, you get a, there's a lot of new parts of being pregnant and delivering a baby. And so anytime someone can make something easy or accessible, um, and fast, like, okay, fill out this form and you're done. That is a huge plus. So I think that honestly, that was probably a driver, uh, for, for why we went with you guys. Okay. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear. Um, how was the process with like the actual banking and pickup and everything like that? You know, I can't speak to that super well because I had like just delivered. So I think like, and my husband was kind of in charge of this part. Cause I was okay. like, I'm going to be probably out of it. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, it was delivered on time and I think we brought it. If I remember correctly, we brought it to the hospital. We had like our bag and we had our, our kit and we told the doctors, um, I was induced. So it was like, not a, a super hectic process getting to the hospital. You know, we were there, um, we told them, okay, we have this. Uh, and then they just kind of took care of like packing everything up and like we shipped it out. So I think from that perspective, it was also like very low lift on our end. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. Talking about just birth decisions in general and how you decided to have your birth. Like, I think it's interesting. You mentioned induction. Um, so yeah. How did you decide where to give your birth and how did you structure your birth decisions and your birth plan? Yeah. So, um, where to give birth, uh, we, we live in San Francisco. Uh, and so we delivered at UCSF mission Bay. Um, we live super actually close to that hospital. So that, that was a big driver was convenience, but the other factor was, you know, it was important to me if something went wrong, that there was a really good NICU in the hospital. So I believe UCSF is like a level four. And then the other one in the Bay area is Stanford. Um, you know, in all likelihood, like we wouldn't need to use that. We didn't need to use that, but that was an important part of the factor, like for me to know that that was there. Um, so that's where, and in terms of a birth plan, honestly, my plan was get the baby out healthily and, and if possible, minimize, you know, pain on my end. And so, um, I, I just, I felt like I had heard these stories with women who, you know, had a very specific plan. And then when they had to deviate that, that was really challenging for them and emotional. And I can totally see why. Um, and so I very much went into it, um, being really open to be like, we're going to do whatever it takes to get the baby out healthily. And having never gone through labor, you don't know how your body's going to respond to various interventions or non-interventions. And so I went in kind of open. I think the one component that I was adamant about was that I wanted an epidural. And <laughs> I actually, I told my husband that 
his only job during labor was to make sure I didn't, you know, miss the window for an epidural. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really nice. But what I really need is to make you to make sure that I, that I get that. And so I think that was the only part of labor that I would say I had a plan for per se. Okay. It's kind of interesting because yeah, I I've also read like articles to, or just birth stories in general where people do feel really adamantly about their birth plan. But um I found that parents in tech actually felt like generally the opposite. Like I like I've had a lot of parents in tech that I've met at networking events, for instance. Like it'll be um like a husband and his wife is that seven months pregnant or something, and then um, I'll ask them about their birth plan and he's kind of like, I don't really know. And like, even if I have a call with, with their partner, like they're, they're typically also like, yeah, we haven't really thought about it. Like, we'll just kind of figure it out. Like, I feel like founders are so inclined to just wait until they have to. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm going to wait until I have to make those decisions. Yeah. Right? And I think also there's a recognition that, you know, if you're going to, I, I was going to UCSF, like I very much chose that hospital because I trust the professionals there and their guidance on what was going to keep me and the baby safe. I was just going to listen to. So I, you know, some people have very strong preferences, you know, around medication or around yeah. position or timing or any of those things, even the facility they give birth in. Um, and I just was like, this is what my, I just deferred to, to my doctor and, and that works well for me. Yeah. So I'm curious if you had any preferences with your birth team. Um, like, did you have a doula or a midwife, um, or was it just like strictly an OBGYN? Yeah. So, um, we actually spoke to some doulas, um, and felt like I, I had some friends that had had really positive experiences. So I was like, let me explore this path. And at least the ones that I met, not to say there, there wouldn't be ones that were a better fit, just like weren't really a fit. Um, for me, what I realized I really wanted was an OBGYN that was like on call. <laughs> um, that's really what I wanted. And that's not what a doula is. And so we ended up um, not going the doula route. Um, you know, all of my appointments leading up to labor were with OBGYNs, but actually in labor, I believe I ended up having a midwife involved um, or like kind of leading the, the team. Uh, yeah, and she, that's a UC, I actually learned this morning from this MFM that I learned on our podcast that that's a UCSF specific um, like mechanism because midwives are, I, I, I don't know the exact reason, but I think it's because they're generally correlated with like less interventions and then less complications. So UCSF opts to have like most low risk births default to a midwife. Yes. Yes. And I, I think that's kind of what happened with us. Like everything was um, you know, I was healthy. I'd had a very straightforward pregnancy. I didn't have preeclampsia. I didn't have gestational diabetes, you know, any of these things. So, um, to be honest, I think before labor, I was a lot more worried about who would be in the room. And then once I was in labor, like there's just a lot going on. Like the person that showed up, I was like, all right, you are now, my doctor. <laughs> I think I, I, I remember being very anxious, like, oh, I won't know them ahead of time. Like I won't have a relationship and they're going to deliver my baby. And for me in the labor process, that ended up not being a factor at all. Um, it was like, did they communicate well in that moment? Yeah. And that, that ended up being all that mattered. Okay. Interesting. Um, cool. So, um, let's see, I know you mentioned the, the induction piece as well. Why did you decide to have an induction? Yeah, two reasons. Um, well, so I had a uh, a blood clot earlier pre-pregnancy. Uh, I had been on birth control, hormonal birth control, and was on a long flight and ended up getting a small blood clot in my leg, um, which, you know, we, we resolved um, several years before the pregnancy, but just because of that and, and the age at which I had it, um, I was on some blood thinners throughout pregnancy. And so being on those actually means you can't also get an epidural while you're on, while those medications are in your system. Okay. So I opted for an induction because I could go off the meds, you know, 36 hours before labor and then know that I was eligible for a, an epidural, um, as opposed to like waiting to go into labor naturally. And then being like, I just took my blood there. And, and as I said, the epidural was like probably the only part of my birth plan that I, I was attached to. Um, so that was one reason, but I think 
The other reason is it is there was a I think a 2017 study um, that showed that inductions at 39 weeks actually reduce the risk of C-section, um, emergency C-section. And so I believe it's being offered more now um, as an option for women if they would like to do it, regardless of, of medical necessity. And that I'm sure that's going to vary based on institution. And, and I'm not a doctor, so I could be wrong here, but um, I have heard of more women being offered that of late. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like even the, the blood clot because of birth control is more common than people think. Like one of my friends had that happen. Um, and so she wasn't allowed to, I've actually had two friends that that happened to, and both of them weren't allowed to fly for like a designated period. Um, and then I like two years ago, I think Haley Bieber made a YouTube video about how she basically had a partial stroke because of her birth control. Um, and like a blood clot that resulted. So yeah, that's definitely interesting to think about. So yeah, I'm curious how you split birth decisions um, or just decisions in general around your pregnancy with your husband um, and also how you decided like if you wanted um, him and or others to be a part of the birth, like when it was actually happening um, or like you said, you felt like you didn't have to necessarily be attached to the midwife. So yeah, I'm curious how you thought about just like thought partners throughout pregnancy and then birth. Yeah. So, you know, luckily my husband and I are like very aligned in our, I don't know, our values and kind of our life philosophy. And so um, decisions around, you know, how we would get pregnant and, you know, what tests we would do and how we would approach labor. I was very fortunate. We were, we were basically aligned on the whole thing. So it, it was like a, oh, are we going to, how are we going to decide and more just our natural inclination was the yeah. in the same place, which, which, you know, may not be the case for every couple. So I'm kind of thankful that, that that was an easy part of the process for us. Um, and then, you know, around delivery, uh, we were actually, I delivered just last August and there were still some COVID restrictions in place mm -hmm. at the hospital. Um, so I'm trying to remember, they, I don't think they allowed more, it could have been my husband and maybe one other person, but I'm not even sure. I remember when we were thinking about doulas, um, at the time it was like, would it be the doula or my husband? And I was like, no, no, I, I, I'm going to want him in the room. Um, so we didn't have any other, you know, friends or family there for, for that part, that part, or even the, the 48 hours that we were in the hospital after that it was pretty restricted visiting. And, you know, I think that ended up working out really well. It just gave us, it, it meant the labor room was like not very chaotic. In yeah. terms of you have a, some people bring in a lot of family. I think for me, that might've been like a little overwhelming. And then after we could really just like be our new family unit. Um, I have a feeling when we do this in the future, it will be different because we'll of course, you know, want to have our son meet, you know, his new siblings within a, within a day or two. And so, and COVID's hopefully restrictions are lifted. So I think that'll be a different experience moving forward. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and we, well, our most popular Instagram reel is basically of a, a, a midwife talking about how important the golden hour is right after birth and just not having others there. And I think it's our most viral because most of the comments are about like, I don't understand why my mother-in-law thought that she deserved to be in the birth room and all this stuff. Um, and like people keep sharing it on their story being like, FYI, this is why you're not invited to my birth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was, I will say there was definitely interest from our family in being there. And, um, it's funny, our, our immediate family, we've got a, like two doctors, a pharmacist and, and a nurse. So there's, you know, I think if everyone were there, it, it might almost be a situation of like too many cooks, um, in terms of like healthcare guidance. Um, yeah. but yeah, so that, that's how we were this time. I, you know, I don't know if we do it the same in the future. We'll have to kind of see how we feel at that time. I definitely feel now having gone through it once less like maybe anxious about there being some chaos. Cause I'm like, okay, I don't know how this is going to go. Right. Yeah. I'm curious um, how you thought about sort of relaxing during pregnancy or during birth rather, because I know like one of, when I asked doulas and midwives, like what are the greatest ways to reduce the chances of complications? They're usually like, honestly, like the best way is to reduce anxiety in the birthing parent. So like, they'll talk about like patients watching like Gilmore girls or like whatever, just to like help them feel calm. So 
did you feel like birth overall was easy? And um, also with that, like what kind of coping mechanisms did you use to make you feel calm? I think the biggest thing I did was go in with very low expectations. Like I basically went in being like, this is going to be terrible. Like, you know, <laughs> like this is, you know, I am pushing a person out of my body. Like yeah, all of the bad things are going to happen. Like it's going to be painful. It's going to be ugly, all of these things. And so I think that I was not that it was easy, but it was not as bad as my expectations. And so I honestly felt like as we progressed, I was like, this is not as like bad as I, but I don't, I don't know if that's the right approach for most people. Uh, but I think for me, just like getting in a headspace where I was like, whatever comes, comes. And like my expectation, you know, I, I didn't go in thinking this is going to be some like beautiful, harmonious, like moments. Um, of course there are like, it is amazing what you do, but it's also a, a physical feat. And so I just went in, I think that was the biggest thing that kept me kind of calm and also like rolling with things as, you know, some things changes, uh, change dosages, change staff changes. I was just like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna roll with it. So yeah, I think that was probably the best thing. The other thing was I, I kept exercising throughout pregnancy. Um, so I, I do CrossFit. I did CrossFit up until the day before I delivered. Um, wow. and you know, what was that? How many times a week? Um, probably five or six. Oh my um, God. <laughs> I, don't uh, even do that. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I, as I said, I like, it's been, um, I've been an athlete my whole life. So it was just kind of like a natural extension. And when I was pregnant, exercising actually like made me feel good on days that I didn't exercise. That's when I tended to feel like bigger. I would yeah. feel more sore, those kind of things. And so I was definitely modifying things and I was, you know, using way less weight than I did. And there were certain exercises I didn't do, but, um, I do think going into labor, like reasonably kind of fit and active. I, I viewed labor almost like kind of running a marathon. Like yeah. I, I thought about that week. I was like, okay, I've got to hydrate. I've got to like get enough food early in the week. Like my body is going to go through something really intense and I need to like prepare it for that. Yeah. And so I definitely approached labor, like, kind of like an like a competitive athlete's mindset. I was like, let me yeah. make sure all my body is ready for this. And I think that helped my body handle it and hopefully made me a little bit more calm going in. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm curious if you felt like your pregnancy was also sort of smooth. Like, did you run into any sort of unexpected symptoms or complications or like weird happenings? I mean, honestly, I think I had one of the easiest pregnancies of, of any of my friends. And okay. that's, not, that's not to say there weren't, you know, small things like, you know, I got heartburn in the third trimester and yeah, I woke up in the middle of the night to pee like a lot. And, um, uh, those, you know, I got like back acne during my first trimester, which yeah. I never had before. Um, so there were definitely things that, that were different, you know, I was uncomfortable some of the time, but compared with, you know, the experiences, I, I have a lot of close friends that, you know, really, really struggled, especially during the first trimester. Um, I was fortunate not to, not to have a lot of those symptoms. Um, okay. so yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's really good. Um, cool. One of my questions was how you prepared for the week leading up to birth. I guess you kind of talked about that already, like with the marathon, uh, training and everything, but, um, <laughs> I ate, I slept. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, well, another question that I had about your birth is what positions did you push in? Did you have like preferences there? Or, like what felt natural to you? Um, and then a follow-up to that is, did you tear during birth? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, early in labor, um, I, I moved around a lot. So I was up, I was standing, I was walking, I was on like a ball, um, both because, you know, I had been reading that that can actually be really beneficial for the positioning. I think even the day before I went, I checked into the hospital. Like we went on like a three mile walk or something like that. Just to like, I was like, let me just get things in position. So early in labor, I definitely was up, up and about moving, um, that type of thing. Once I got the epidural that wasn't as, you know, wasn't as possible. Um, and I actually lay on the bed using like a peanut, um, yeah. like a ball. Yeah. 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 A lot of doulas talk about like they're strong advocates for the peanut ball. 
Yeah. So I, I kind of lay with that. Um, and, and I would flip over, they come to flip you like every 30 minutes with the epidural to make sure it, it's even. Um, and that I think helped a lot. I, I progressed really well, um, in terms of dilation once I had the epidural and I was, I was doing that. And then for, you know, the actual pushing part, um, I tried a, a number of different positions. So, at first I was kind of lying down and then I was, uh, standing and I, I used like a, they put up a bar that I could hold on to. And so I was standing like that. Um, those were the two main ones, but I definitely, I was also on my side at one point. So they were, um, I, I felt good trying different positions and they were also encouraging me to do so to see if any would be more beneficial, I think, allow me to, to push harder. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, was there anything that you wish you had done or I guess like what, what position did you ultimately give birth in? I think kind of like the classic, like lying down, pushing thing. It was funny. My, um, the, the birth team that was there before, you know, when I was fully dilated before I started pushing, they said, let's do a practice push. And I was like, okay. And so I do a practice push and I don't really know what practice means. I, I guess it means you're going to push, but the baby's not going to come out. You're just going to do one. Yeah. <laughs> they they were kind of like assessing how I pushed, I think. And and they said, oh wow, this baby, this baby's gonna be out soon. You know how to push, like you know how to use the muscles. So no problem. Um, and I think they actually said, Are you good to wait for like 15 minutes? Cause there was another woman in labor, like active, like the baby was coming out and the midwife had to go. And I was like, yeah, like I can, I can wait 15 minutes. Like this is fine. <laughs> like I didn't feel that urgency, um, which you do get to a point where you feel that. And I was like, okay. So they went away, came back. And then I started pushing and I actually pushed for over two hours. And I, I almost feel like they, it's all, I mentioned expectation management. Like I think in the practice push, they were so confident in my ability that I like, I don't think I pushed as hard as I could early on. And it wasn't until like two hours in when they're like, you know, we might have to get like the forceps. We might have to like help you out here. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. And so I was like, that sounds like that could just complicate things. So then my husband's like, you just kicked it into like a new gear. And the baby was out in like three pushes. Like, like as soon as they're like, okay, he needs to come out now. I just- And, and that wasn't that like lying down kind of, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. what you see in the movies kind of position. Okay. So you didn't want, like you were strongly against intervention. It seemed like. I think at that point, you know, for, I, if you need it, you need it. But um, yeah, forceps, I know that they, you, you're kind of grabbing the baby's head. There can be some, you know, damage there. Um, I also, I felt like I was so far into pushing and yeah, I just felt like I had more in me. I was like, whoa, you don't need to do that. Like I, I, I got this. And so I think, you know, in the future, I'll probably push hard. Not that I was like slacking off at the beginning, but they were like, your pushes are great. Like your practice push was awesome. Then I was like, why is this baby not coming? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think if I, I, you know, if they needed to use them, I was going to be okay with that, but I was like, you know, let me, let me give this a real try. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Um, Cool. Is there anything that you wish you had done differently for birth or anything that surprised you? Yeah. You know, my, one of, one of my cousins gave us this advice. They're like, you know, breastfeeding, having a little kid, there's just a lot more liquid than you expect in like every sense. And that was one of the few pieces of advice that I got when I was pregnant that I was at the end, I was like, that was true. Like, <laughs> and, and it was surprising how much there was, but I, I always had that kind of phrase in my, my head. And so, um, I think that made it a lot, it normalized it. Um, but yeah, I guess that was probably something, uh, that came up. Um, did you, did you poop during birth? You don't have to answer if you don't want to. <laughs> no, I honestly probably, but I, I don't, explicitly yeah. remember like there's yeah. Well, yeah I've had a lot of providers tell me that even if it happens they'll usually just like scoop it away so fast and nobody talks about it yeah yeah like they they'll put something like under you because as I said like there's there's a you know your water broke like you're yeah. pushing something out so there's there's a lot of liquid there and I knew that they were you know occasionally would kind of help me lift up and then whatever mat they had under me would they would just like 
change out um, very quickly. And that area had a had a whole lot of different things on it. And <laughs> it's very possible that poop was one of them, but I, I don't explicitly remember. I think a lot of women go into labor being like, oh my God, it's going to be so embarrassing when that happens. And at least for me, I was like, I do not care. Like, <laughs> like stuff is happening with my body and, and it's just what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, I'd love to move into sort of the postpartum because I feel like this, especially like so many parents spend a lot of time reading into birth and pregnancy and just how to prepare, but I feel like people feel the least prepared for postpartum, at least from what I've gathered. Um, so yeah, I'm curious what your typical routine was like after birth and how did you go about finding a routine, especially when it comes to like breastfeeding with your son and everything like that? Yeah. So uh, we had a lot of family that came to visit right after birth, which was really, really helpful. Um, and I think one, one of the things I did just anticipating how chaotic and like sleep deprived that time might be is I was really explicit with them that this was not a visit this, they were there to help and they yeah. could obviously see the baby, but like and, and so far as to like, I, I don't think they actually ended up using this, but I put together a Google doc that had like, here's our standard grocery order. Here are the places we like to order from. And like our order, like, and like, I think the Google doc is, you're like, if you're asking how to help, here are five things you can do. And it was like, you know, don't, don't be like, what should I do? Cause then I have to, you know, take on the mental load of like kind of directing, you know, people and that I really wanted to just have off my plate for, for a couple of weeks. And so, you know, big thank you to our family. Like they took that in stride and, um, my mom came first and she, her thing was like, she just cooked all of our meals. She did laundry, you know, she obviously like held the baby and like really like valued that time. But honestly, she was mostly there, like supporting me and, and my husband and like just keeping the house going. And then, and then my in-laws came after that. And then my sister came after that. And so I think we had like over a month of people in the house, like providing that support. So that was really helpful, but I would definitely encourage people because I know hosting guests can be a lot or like people come to visit and you feel like you have to, you know, care for them, plan meals for them. And so I was just almost probably to a point where it was, it was a little rude, was like very explicit ahead of time um, about what the expectations were when they visited. That was a huge piece of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Like I, I've spoken with doulas who like postpartum doulas specifically, they always instruct family members. Like if you're coming, they have a tour wheel and they're like, you better like do a load of laundry or like bring a frozen meal for multiple days. Or like you're not here to just like hold the baby, like you better be doing something. You're, you're here to work. Yeah. So that was a big part of it. The other thing to, you know, just be transparent. We had a night nanny, um, okay. starting a few days after birth. Um, and she came in six days a week. Um, and she would come from 10 PM to 6 AM. Um, and that was life-changing, like super, yeah you know, privileged position to be able to afford that. It's very expensive. Um, you know, there's, there's also a reason why, you know, I had kids in my thirties. I had worked at Google for five years. Like, you know, we planned for this, like in our financial model, I was like, I would like night nanny because I, you know, I knew I'm someone that needs a good amount of sleep. And I think postpartum depression, um, is a very real thing. And I knew for me, probably the biggest risk to, to having, you know, more than the baby blues, but having significant mental health challenges was just not sleeping. Yeah. Um, you know, I had seen that like at other points in my life when I just don't get enough sleep, you know, I didn't get depressed, but I was not, you know, my best self. And so that was something we had, as I said, we planned for, we, we knew ahead of time. And if you can, you know, make budget for it, even if it's, you know, a few nights a week, two nights a week. I know people that have done it. Um, it was like hugely helpful. And so, you know, that I just want to be transparent that like, that was a big part of us having a positive, such a positive experience early on was, you know, my husband was getting like, you know, he's a founder. So like he was getting like, he was on Pat leave. We took it at the same time. And 
he was getting like seven hours of sleep a night and like someone was doing all the cooking and like, you know, and he, he was there um, supporting me with the baby, but like he was in great shape. I, um, to your question about breastfeeding um, for the, about the first two weeks, I did wake up at night and nurse. Um, and then once kind of my supply came fully in, I started pumping. So probably, yeah, about two weeks after I delivered, I would, you know, was able to pump enough milk. I would make a bottle and leave it for the night nanny. So she did that middle of the night feeding. So I was able to get like a six hour stretch starting pretty early on. And I think that made a huge difference. Okay, cool. So yeah, what would the night nanny typically do? Just do nighttime feedings and things like that? Yeah, I mean, that that was kind of my question. I was like, well, what, what are they doing? Um, yeah. You know, I think babies at that time are still, they don't know how to self-soothe. So a lot of times they might wake up a little bit and need you know, a little bit of like rocking, um, to go back to sleep. They might be pooping or peeing in the night. Our son was like very sensitive about having a wet diaper. So sometimes he wasn't hungry, but he just needed to be changed and she could do that and put that back down. And so, you know, you think about, oh, like, even though I got up to nurse, nursing is only one part of the thing. When you wake up at night, you know, you get the kid, you nurse, then you've got to, you know, sometimes you have to change them, then you have to soothe them back to sleep. So even if you're only nursing for 20 minutes, if you're doing all the other things, you might be up for 45. And that just, you know, takes every minute is precious. Um, and luckily I fell back asleep pretty easily, but I know some women, you know, they're up for 45 minutes. They're like, now I'm up. <laughs> and, yeah. and that transition is hard. So um, she was really great about, about that. Um, yeah, just kind of all, I think also as first time parents, you know, you're very anxious and that kind of thing. Um, our night nanny had, I think she sent us a list of references going back to the nineties, like and she had four kids. Like I just felt, uh, I had no anxiety having her and she was in the room with my son and we were in the next room. And so we didn't have like the sound monitor on. And so I really felt like I, could just sleep deeply. And I think a lot of parents, even if they're not in the room, they're hearing all those little noises your baby makes and you're awake and you're looking at them on the monitor and you're going in to check. And so even if you're not feeding them, your sleep is very disrupted. And so that allowed us to really actually sleep when yeah. it's nighttime. Okay. And that's awesome. Um, how did you sort of like split, uh, your routine with your husband and like, like, um, yeah, I was just trying to think about like, it's kind of funny whenever I make dad content on TikTok, like it does go viral, but I typically don't get a lot of comments. There's a lot of shares because mm -hmm. I think mom seeing it and sharing it with dads. And I I've tried to get dads to engage in the comments. I'll be like, if you're a dad, like comment a blue emoji or whatever, um, but I think, yeah, dads in general are just like shy is the sense that I get, and they just don't even know how to be helpful. So like, how do you think your husband was best helpful and how did that impact your routine? Yeah. I will say you should also interview guys for this. Yeah. 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 I have some on the, on the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be amazing. Or, or I should say like non-birthing parents, because yeah. that, that can take a lot of different forms. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, one, my husband is just like, I, I think I'm pretty even keel, like emotionally, but he's even, even more so than I am. And I think around pregnancy, I did definitely get a little bit more highs and lows than is my norm. Um, mostly like right at the end or like immediately postpartum. And so he just being like that, that even, <laughs> even keel, um, person just, you know, it was so, so helpful. Uh, he did, I think every diaper for like the first some number of, of weeks. Like, I don't think I changed the diaper for, for at least three weeks or something. And so, you know, because I was doing all the nursing, um, he felt like, okay, what's a task that I can like wholly own. Um, and so that, you know, that ended up being diapers and, uh, that there's a lot of them. So that was, that was great. Um, I also think when we had guests, even though I, as I said, they were like incredibly helpful, like any like managing of the guests, like if there was like, oh, they needed towels or we were out of groceries and they needed to know, you know, which type of milk we liked. Like he was the front lines for that, um, which was really, really nice. Um, yeah. I mean, those are, those are the biggest things. And then, yeah, honestly, he, he was just as excited as I was to like have kids. So he loves 
I mean, really when my son was really little, he would get out, we had like those little mobile and he would put them on the floor and just get down with him. And, you know, cause I was still a few days postpartum, like a little uncomfortable, a little, you know, recovering and healing there. And so getting on the floor for tummy time wasn't the easiest, um, but he was like, let's do it. We're going to, you know, do this activity. Um, so that, that was just really sweet. And it made me like very excited for, for all the things to come. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious if you toured during birth and then how did you think about like healing postpartum or how did you like help prepare or, and, and take care of yourself? Like, I feel like that's also seems like a leading cause of postpartum depression is I feel like people just kind of let go of their own routine. Yeah. So, um, I did tear during birth. I did, I had second degree tears. So I think that's like you tore, but it's not the worst. Like, I think it goes up to fourth um, degree. So I did have stitches, um, the, you know, recovery, I was fortunate. Like it, I could definitely tell that I like had stitches. There was a tightness, um, that existed, but I wasn't in a lot of pain. Um, so that, you know, it was, I would say manageable, but for the first week I was pretty, I would say delicate, like just a little cautious with my movement. Um, but yeah, I, I started, we, we started going out on walks maybe five days after birth. I remember thinking, yeah, it was a week after birth and I had walked one mile. Um, that was like my distance. And then two weeks after birth, I'd walked two miles, three weeks, three miles. And I was very like, um, measured. So I, you know, wore my Apple watch and I would, we would go out with our family and I'd be like, we are a half mile from home. I need to turn around now. And, you know, and I would do that for, you know, every other day or something and then like, see how my body felt. And then I'm okay. Now I will add an additional 0.25 or an additional 0.5 and did that very gradually for the first four or five weeks. Um, at five weeks, I started like an online program for like core engagement, um, Yeah. Like kind of, it was from a pelvic floor therapist. Um, and it was just like a series of videos and it started really like, honestly, you could barely call it like, you know, a workout started with diaphragmatic breathing and just like re-engaging your core. And then it slowly, you know, every week kind of like built. So I think I did that from about week four to week eight. And at the end you were doing more things like, you know, very short, timeline but like a side plank or you were doing uh like the the push-ups against the wall like just really building up that strength um and then yeah I actually went back to CrossFit at about 10 weeks Um, but again very modified you know I was going to class but I would just do like either no weight or very low weight there were certain exercises like I didn't jump rope is a big part. I was like, I'm not jumping rope. I'm not running yet. Um, but for me, you know, part of that self-care is like getting into that routine. Our gym is outdoors. So it got me outside for an hour a day. We're friends with a lot of people at our gym. So that was like a social element. And then I was moving my, my body as well. So I think all of those things were, you know, important, like, yeah, move your body, see people and get outside. And I could kind of like condense that into, you know, one, one activity. Yeah. So since your son is now one years old, I also wanted to chat a little bit about parenting tactics. Um, is your son like speaking? He has some words. He has like mama, dada, but otherwise (laughs) it's like mostly sounds. Oh, he has truck. He's very into trucks. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, otherwise it just mostly sounds. (laughs) Okay, cool. So do you feel like you've already started to sort of engage in parenting? Like, do you find that you're like creating boundaries and stuff like that? Um, yeah, honestly, I think we started like much, much sooner. Like I, I had this vision when I, you know, when I, before I had kids, I thought, oh, you kind of just have this like sack that you carry around for like a year. And, and then it starts to, you know, get really interesting. But I was, I think my husband and I were both super surprised at, you know, even within, you know, a week or two of birth, like, as I mentioned, like, tummy time or, you know, we got those like black and white cards and he could follow them. And, um, he's just like, continue. It's so amazing watching 
like someone learn how to, how to use their body and understand language. So yeah, uh, yeah we feel like parenting started much, much sooner. Just the nature of it changed, you know, first it was like, let's keep him alive and, and gaining weight. And, and now it's trans transition, you know, then we went through the mobility phase, um, crawling and, and walking, and now we're more at the language phase. And so, okay. yeah, trying to, trying to support the development in those areas, I guess. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how you think about just like parenting philosophies in general, how you form your own, um, and yeah, like for instance, I feel like gentle parenting has become really popular and just like more contemporary discourse amongst millennials, especially I think, um, and Gen Z parents too. So um, yeah, how do you form your parenting philosophies? Um, I actually, it's funny when you sent over the questions, I had to look up gentle parenting. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so that I guess is not uh, something that's on my radar. I'm actually just like reviewing my notes. Um, you choose to set clear boundaries and understand. Yeah. So it's like, this, it's this interesting section of parenting and there's, there's an influencer, Dr. Becky, who has about like a million followers on Instagram and like doulas and midwives that I've chatted with, like love her. Um, and like Alexis Ohanian is one of our investors. And like, he, he told me that of all of the Instagram collabs he's ever done, like in the history of his social media career, the most engaging one where he got the most like positive feedback and where the, the community seemed super, super engaged was the one that he did with Dr. Becky. Um, because I think parents, she just has like this sense of like cult following where it's like treat your child like an adult, like don't create um, like toxic boundaries. Um, oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I will say, you know, I read like, I read a couple of books before I delivered. Um, and then once we got in it, you know, and got busy, it was kind of, it's kind of learn as you go. But I think that the one kind of philosophy that my husband and I looked a lot into is Montessori. And it sounds like there's some similar underpinnings that you kind of recognize the child as like a whole person and, you know, recognize that if they are, um, you know, being fussy or if they are frustrated or angry, like there is actually a reason behind that and that they're just, you know, not able to express that in the way that, you know, an adult would. And so, meeting them where they are and, and helping them like navigate that. Um, also, yeah, we try to, um, yeah, how we engage with, with different toys or books or things like that. Um, I guess we probably Montessori is like the, the thing that we've researched the most. Um, but I can't, you know, we're still early. We're like a year in, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure we're going to develop a philosophy. And I also think, you know, similar to my, I don't know, approach to labor where I thought, I'm going to see how it goes and, and do what it takes to have a healthy kid. I think it's great um, to think through your philosophy, um, but all the feedback I've heard from parents is that, you know, that a lot of times kids need different things and your philosophy needs to adapt based on the needs of the kids. And so we have an idea of mine in mind of, as to how we you know, plan to, to discipline or to not discipline and, um, what, what habits we want to instill and what values, how that actually happens, I think is going to vary depending on like the person that comes out, you know, and how they respond, um, to that. And so I think we're just kind of, um, yeah, open to, to learning, uh, as we go. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Maybe I should do more research. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just, uh, every parent I talked to was like, oh yeah, we thought we would do that. And it went out the window. So yeah. um, I think it, it's important to know what your, your big boulders are, you know, what's like very important and then you'll figure out the small stuff. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, how did you define your routine with your son, especially given like a demanding professional life? Yeah. Um, oh, I actually thought of something for the previous question. Yeah. We did read, so I'm a big Emily Oster fan. Um, okay. She's big into data. And right around when I delivered, she wrote The Family Firm, uh, which actually had a lot of parallels, we thought, to company building. Like it talked about, okay, what are your, there? there's kind of like in parenting can be death by a thousand cuts. Um, you're making these little decisions and these interactions every day. So yeah. instead of trying to make these kind of micro decisions, align as a family on like, what are your values and what are your goals as a family? Kind of, kind of as a company, what is your mission? And then what are your, you know, what are your operating principles? How did, how did, what's your mission? What are your values? And then how do those manifest 
every day? And what are some habits or routines you can build in to reinforce those values? So that is actually a discussion my husband and I had, like, what are our family values? And there's obviously no right answer here for some people, you know, it can be, um, though it's kind of uh, frowned upon now, some, some families are, you know, about achievement, other families are about, you know, we want our kids to be independent, others are that we prioritize um, creativity, you know, whatever works for your family that, you know, set your kind of high level mission, and then the values you want to instill. And then, we even talked about like, okay, like what would a Friday night when our kids are like three and five look like? And how does that tie into the values we're trying to instill? So does that mean we're playing board games? Does that mean we're all reading books together? Does that mean we're watching a movie and, or we're cooking together? Like, and how does that tie into um, the values we have as a family? So I guess it's not exactly a, a parenting philosophy, but we did really find that helpful as a framework. And yeah. I think it's something that's good. I'm sure before we have another kid in the future, it'll be good to like revisit that and say, are those still the, the things we believe are most important? How are we doing? Do we feel like we actually live in a way that, you know, our, our kids will grow up with these values um, and adjust from there? So. Okay. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. Cause I feel like like my family growing up, I like, I grew up with a single mom basically, and she was always working. So like, I honestly rarely had like family dinners, but I know like I have some friends that that's really important to them. And so I feel like to me, like I've always thought about in the future, like that would be something really important to me is just the concept of like family dinners, because I feel like I lack that as a kid. So um, yeah, that's a good, like first principle is thinking. <laughs> it is. It's really sharp in there. And, and the great thing is you get to choose. So you, some people yeah. want to emulate what they had as a kid. Some people want to do something totally different and, you know, you, and if you have a partner, you guys get to decide. And it also, I think is important to know, like, it doesn't have to be static. At least I don't, I don't think so. You know, your lives change. Um, you learn a lot, your kids, evolve. And so what was important to you one year, three years later may not be at the top of that list. But I, I do think starting from a place where you're intentional about it as much as you can be, um, it can be really helpful. Um, but again, we're like one year in, so, you know, talk to five years, I'll be like, yeah, we didn't do any of that, uh, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's how we set out to, to do yeah. that. It would be really cool. I feel like when your son is older to listen to this, if like, <laughs> if, if Spotify and podcasts is still even a thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I know we, we can wrap up soon, but my last question would just be, yeah, how do you balance having a demanding professional life and also having a kid and kind of unifying like how I see like the double life of especially like female founders um, and parents? I think a lot of people think, you know, having a family and, and a demanding career don't go together. And yeah. it's definitely, you know, challenging. Um, just there are only so many hours in the day. But for me, and again, we're very early in this process, but my company is very early. My son is very young. So I can't say that I, I you know, have all this wisdom, but I will say it's really helped me prioritize what's important, you know it's a very short list of things. And, you know, it's my, my family and time with my son and then it's my business. And then it's, you know, staying like fairly healthy. So it's like getting enough sleep and like trying to exercise on occasion and uh, making sure I can do numbers one and two well. Um, and so I think as a founder, it can be really, there's always so much to do and it's easy to get pulled in all these directions. And I think having that, those constraints and knowing like, I have to be home at 5.30 to relieve the nanny um, really focuses you. And it also makes you say no to a lot of things that are a waste of time, like yeah. coffee chats when you're not fundraising or like happy hours to network. It's like, uh, that's a hard no, you know, like it's like, um, it has to be a really high value thing. And so I like to think that it actually, you know, makes me a potentially better founder um, yeah. because I am really ruthless about prioritizing my time. And, you know, it also means that I know that when I'm with my son, like these are my hours, like 5.30 to 7.30 at night. And like whenever he wakes up, which is sometime between six and seven in the morning until about 8.15, like those are our hours during the week. And when I'm with him, 
you know, I'm not on my phone, I'm not anywhere else, like I'm really engaged. Um, and so I think I've erred much more on like a quality versus quantity side. Um, and, you know, so far that like seems to be working. And that's not to say that that, that happens every single day. Um, like I'm in YC, sometimes we have evening events. And so that's a, a choice that I make to be away from home those nights. And it also means you know, my husband and I, we have to coordinate. So like on Sundays we go through the week and we're like, okay, I have an evening event Thursday. You're, can, are you home? And he's like, yeah, I'm home. Okay. He has an early call Tuesday morning. So it's like, I'm, I'm on solo kid duty and we just try to make sure that those times don't overlap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we we're very fortunate. We have a wonderful nanny and, and sometimes she can help us fill those gaps or we have family that visits, um, but for the most part, we're pretty protective of that time during the week. Um, and then, yeah, on the weekends, usually Saturday is like a no work day. It's like purely family. Um, and then Sunday, depending on what's going on, like we might do shifts. So I might, I might have Tommy, you know, in the morning and my husband will have him in the afternoon. Um, if we, you know, can get away with it, sometimes we'll only, work like during naps or if he goes to bed at like, you know, 8 PM, then we got like our two hour window. Um, so that's how we're making it, it work right now. Um, definitely a lot less downtime. Like sometimes my friends will be texting about something like in pop culture in the news and I'll just have like (laughs) no idea idea what's going on. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, scrolling Twitter, maybe the, the way I used to be, but as I said, I, I think I eliminated things that don't contribute to either of those yeah. goals. So we'll see. Yeah. I, again, super early, I I'm sure there's going to be weeks and months that this dynamic does not work and, and it, we have to find some other solution, but that's how we balance it right now. Yeah, no, I, that's awesome. I mean, I even felt the same way about being a founder. Like, I feel like it helps me like center my life and things that I used to like spend a lot of time worrying about just seemed like way less important. And Um, so I like having, yeah, like a short list of like really, really important things to do. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, that's all the questions that I have. I know that I took a lot of your time, so I really appreciate you being on our podcast, um, and yeah, just sharing your story and being vulnerable. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting with me. Uh, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing and, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, you know, talking about this stuff just makes it that much easier for other people. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it'll be really interesting. Okay, cool.